Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Tonight's very unique. Uh, people from all over the world are celebrating tonight this event called Good Friday. And it's interesting, sometimes you can be around something for so long that you become blind to it. You ever notice that you, uh, you ever like start hoarding, hoarding stuff in your house? You like a little pile, like who has a junk drawer? Come on, raise your hand if you're a human being. Okay. Um, you got a junk drawer in your house, and at first there's just a couple things in there, and then there's a few other things. Before you know it, the junk drawers turn into a junk counter. Anybody else? And you, if you've been around it long enough, you become blind to it. And it's not until someone comes over, they're like, hey, what's up with a big yard cell? <laughs> you having a yard cell this week? Like, no, that's, that's the overflow of my junk drawer. Um, and I believe that sometimes we say things and we see things that we're so immune to that they lose their power. We say things like telephone. What's, what's a telephone? You tell on the phone powerful right there's phrases that we say all the time that we have no idea like a submarine we say it submarine sub means under marine means ship or vessel it means a boat underwater sub and we we say things and we say things like good friday and we have white noise that goes through our ears and i tonight i just i thought man if it'd be okay to maybe lay out for our new friends tonight, our new families. By the way, if you're atheist or agnostic or Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim, come on, everyone Ocean Shore, say welcome. We are so pumped you're with us tonight. You know what's crazy is sometimes today, we, many people think, well, Christians only like other Christians. No, people that didn't like Jesus or didn't like Christianity love Jesus. Or people that didn't like religion love Jesus. And I think, man, if people that were nothing like Jesus love Jesus, people that are nothing like us should love us. That's a good spot for an amen. We're kind of a loud church. We believe in talking back to the preacher. And not to be obnoxious, but there's something about sporting events when the crowd gets behind the stage. It, it elevates the stage. And so if you're something good tonight, you can say amen. You can say nice jeans. My wife's, and uh, kidding. Um, but tonight, if you have your Bible, I'm going to read uh, 11 verses out of two passages. And uh, I want to talk to you tonight on Good Friday is what's so good about Good Friday? You want to shorten it up? You can write this down. What's, what's the deal? What's the deal? Type your neighbor and say, what's the deal? What's the deal? What's the deal? What's the deal with Good Friday? What's, what's the deal? Why, why is it such a big deal? Why is Holy Week such a big deal? Why do people get crazy about Easter? What's the deal? And I think sometimes we've been around it for so long that we become blind to what it's all about. And so tonight, if you have your Bible, truly in Matthew chapter 27, 27th chapter of Matthew, and you put a finger in Galatians chapter 2, and I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about, about what's the deal about Good Friday. What's, what's this all about? Why is Good Friday good? Is that all right? We'll try to look at this thing. So if you've been in church your whole life, and this is like the 97th Good Friday service, my prayer is you get something fresh out of it. But if you're a very first-time visitor at church in your entire life, my prayer is that you would leave tonight with a framework, a grid of what Jesus and his beliefs are all about. Does that make sense? And uh, we're going to open up Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to read. This is a passage of right after Jesus gets arrested he gets incarcerated he has three sentences three hearings from the jews three hearings from the romans he gets sentenced as we're going to read here uh, but let's pick up reading in chapter 27 verse 15 if you're ready to go say i'm ready you can you can share this on your facebook live we want a lot of people to be impacted by what we do tonight if you want to share that you're welcome to but matthew 27 verse 15 if you're ready to go say i'm ready it says now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they desired, whom they wished. And at that time, there was a notorious, someone say with me, notorious, B-I-G, no, no, uh, prisoner. That's for the youngsters. Notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? 
for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, have nothing to do with Jesus, this man, for I've had, I've suffered many things today in dreams because of him. And the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes and they, they, that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said, well, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said to him, let him be crucified. I'll be honest, every year I try to really study all of the accounts of the crucifixion and the, and the Holy Week. And I want to, can I just, can I say something that everyone's thinking about? It's always uncomfortable to read about the crucifixion. And, and God made it that way because there's power in being disturbed by the crucifixion. Let's keep reading. The governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. Pilate said to them, uh, when, he, when he realized he could not prevail against them at all, but rather the tumult of the people was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. He then, they then released Barabbas. And when he had scourged, this is, this is where we usually overlook, they scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. John says that he, he hung between two prisoners. Luke documents it. And it says that after he commissions one of his beloved disciples to take care of his earthly mothers, it says that he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. And I want to talk to you tonight about what's so good about Good Friday. If you want to, if you want to condense it, what's the deal? What's the deal? Father, I just pray tonight that whether we're a first-time first time person ever in a church service, or we're watching online for the very first time, or we come faithfully every week and we've served you our whole lives, God, tonight would you meet us where we are? Would you do something fresh in our soul? Would you show us how loving, how awesome, how good, and, and even how powerful you still are? We invite you to have your way tonight. I pray that you would bless this, this whole weekend. It would be such a great weekend. And I pray that people would leave impacted by your sweet love and presence. God, we honor you tonight. Give us fresh insight in Jesus' name. And bless the Lakers another championship. Everybody said, hey, amen. Amen. I like, uh, I like sports. Anybody like sports? Sports guy. I was kind of rough in the early days of Ocean's Church. I was the only uh, Laker fan here. Pretty much because California fans uh, are fickle. And they were terrible when we moved here. God decided not to revive the Lakers until he revived our church. He won the championship. It was great. LeBron heard that we were coming here, and he moved. You know what's funny? The older you get, and I'm sure you can maybe relate to this, the older you get, the, the more you realize these athletes are getting younger and younger. When I was growing up, I looked up to pro athletes. and like, oh, man, one day I could do what they're doing. They're so old. And then there came a day that I'm like, wow, they're my age. And now I'm like, wow, that's like my nephew. I'm 37. I look 36. I'm 37 years old. And uh, I have realized that, uh, that like, there's like, you heard of doggy years? I was thinking about this. The Lord told me there's athletic years. Like, for instance, in the NBA, 37 is 84. In the NFL, I'd be 102 at 37 years of age. In soccer, I'd be 64. In baseball, I'd be 37. 37. Some sports don't make any sense at all. Uh, there's a new sport I've been getting into lately. It's called pickleball. I had no idea. I heard about it about, you know, to be honest, 15 years ago. We played it at my, my brother's bachelor party, and it was fun. But I, I heard it was called pickleball, and so really the last 15 years, I haven't cared about it. Not because it's not fun, but because of the name. The name's misleading. Can we agree? There's, I don't know who named the sport. I'm going to guess they were intoxicated. Pickleball. It's like a little mini, mini tennis court, right? that your wife likes because it has a kitchen in it. 
that was a, that was a targeted joke. Uh, and I was thinking about how it's just crazy that there's like this little sport, and I, I don't know, the older I get, I, I appreciate sports that I can still play. I love the Olympics, and uh, I think every, everyone loves watching the Olympics, and I'm sure that I'm not the only human that visualizes what it would be like imagining me winning the gold. Is there anybody else that watches? You're like, I, that, that would be cool. Should have done that. <laughs> Might have missed an opportunity there. Uh, I watched the Olympics, and it's funny. Like, like now there's only like, at the older, I'm 37. I'm like, man, what sports could I still do at an Olympic level? And I realized there's only a few left. One of them is in the Winter Olympics. It's called curling. I'm like, I'm built like these guys. We got a similar build. It's like these guys, every four years, they're like, they're like software designers, TSA employees, Uber drivers. But that fourth year, they're Olympians. Some of them actually give up their jobs to become janitorial people just to stay in shape in the off-season. Anyways, I'm sorry. God speaks to me in, in funny ways. I'm going somewhere. It's Good Friday. I was, uh, I was thinking about this, about how most sports you don't like to watch, you don't understand. Can we agree? I have zero interest in cricket. Some of you don't, there's, there's a sport called cricket. Not the little thing that sneaks in your house past the screen. Cricket. You go to Australia, it's a big deal. Like, people close their businesses, and they go sit and watch people with a bat and, like, ball, and it, the game goes, like, 12 hours. And they leave, and they come and go to the stadium. The stadium's full, and it's empty, and it's full, and it's empty. And I have no desire to watch because I have zero understanding of how the rules work. No desire. There's a lot of sports in the world that I really don't have a lot of interest in, not because they're not great sports, but because I have zero understanding. I've discovered this, that oftentimes you can be interested in something without understanding it, but it's hard to be committed to something without understanding. The Bible actually says it this way in Hosea 4. It says that without understanding, without vision, without, without knowledge, people perish. It's amazing that he says that my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Many people, I believe, in their relationship with God aren't destroyed because God's not interesting, that he's not powerful, awesome, or loving. The disconnect is not with God. Oftentimes, it's with our ability to understand how he works. Our ability to actually have a grid of what is the deal with this sport? What is the deal with God? What is the deal with Christianity? My grandma was Christian. My mom was Christian. They went to church. They had Bibles and they prayed. But for me, I have a disconnect. I'm interested, but I'm not committed. And I think that the lack of commitment in America is not anything to do with the lack of intrigue with following Jesus. It's the lack of understanding. Amen? People don't understand. Understanding determines interest and commitment. You can write that down. I believe your understanding of God and the Bible and Jesus and the cross and the resurrection will determine your level of interest and engagement. And quite frankly, some people only come to church once a year, which, hey, if you're here, we're glad you're here. And you're welcome back next year. We'll be here the year after that, too. But I'm telling you, most people only come once a year, not because it's not worth coming more. It's because their level of understanding. I believe if you understand God at a distance, you'll want to serve him at a distance. And, and many people don't realize this. They, they don't really realize that understanding determines interest and engagement. And I was thinking through with sports how some sports, I like pickleball, I had zero interest in because I didn't understand the game because the name was so goofy. There's no pickles in the sport. It's like, I like deal. Where's the deal pickles? And I showed up and there was no pickles. It wasn't even cucumbers. I was ticked off. Got a wiffle ball and a spanking spoon. I'm like, what's going on? I was disappointed. But I learned that understanding is connected to our interest and our engagement, our commitment. 
People go, Mark, well, we know that Jesus rose on Easter. I got the Easter bunny and the resurrection. I get it. But what's up with Good Friday and the crucifixion? I don't know if you ever thought about, you ever, you ever kind of dove into the necessity of the crucifixion. Crucifixion is probably one of the most under, misunderstood aspects of Christianity today. Many people have no idea why Jesus had to be crucified. It was actually a brutal death. I want you to make notice of this, that he, he could have died. God chose how he would die, right? God incarnate, he chose how he would die. He could have died with a firing squad. He could have been hung. He could have been got, you know, there was a myriad of ways. Why in the world, why, why a cross? Why a crucifixion? And if I could, I'd like to lay a little bit of a ground foundation of why the crucifixion is so significant. Are you with me tonight? One scholar said it must have been a, uh, he, he must have been ghastly to behold. To see Jesus after he was scourged by a Roman scorch. I want you to know not only was he crucified, which is not like most movies don't depict accurately. The truth is, even the passion of the Christ did not capture the horror of the crucifixion. A Roman scourge was so severe that most people were, they were literally mutilated to death. They, they, the reason why they didn't usually do more than 40 is because Romans mastered the art of torture. And when they scourged somebody, they discovered that after 39 stripes, the person would die. So most people, I, and to my knowledge, as I studied the last couple weeks, I have never heard of any human being that was scourged and crucified. Only Jesus. And to be scourged, it was like there was a whip, there was, there was nails, there was pieces of sharp rock, there was jagged imagery, and they would literally, they would, they would whip the individual, two people usually, and when they would scourge on an open back, handcuffed to a stake, uh, with hands and feet so there was no wiggle room. And, the, and just the threatening of scourging in the ancient world of Rome would cause even the most, even the most riotous mobs to cease momentarily. Because there was such a death, death scare of scourging. Scourging we read over sometimes before we get to the crucifixion. But that scourging was brutal. People would be so unrecognizable at the end of the scourging. That the idea of Jesus carrying a cross. Or going on a cross after scourging was almost uncomprehendable. Are you, are you tracking with me? And we don't talk a lot about this. And we don't understand how horrible, dreadful, shocking... This was to behold. The sight, the smell, the shame, the pain, it was incomprehensible. He was naked. Can you imagine being not only killed, but naked killed? The shame of it. People don't get that the crucifixion was one of the, it was the, the worst torturous way to die in human history. Romans perfected the art of, of pain. And we read about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And if you're here tonight, you don't hear any other statement. Hear this statement tonight when it comes to Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter. Hear this, hear this powerful statement that the Easter and the crucifixion, so resurrection and crucifixion, the strongest statement about both during Easter weekend is this, is that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we would have never heard of him. I want you to think about that. If he was not raised from the dead. He died on a cross, and I'm explaining why that's significant. We never would have heard about him. That's why Luther said the cross is the test for everything. The cross was such a significant moment. Why was it so significant? Well, why, what, what's the big deal at the cross? How about this? That we know the name of no one crucified before Jesus. Not one person do we know their name. The crucifixion was was the death of slaves. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. Only the enemies of Rome were allowed to be crucified. It was the death of slaves. The cross was government-sponsored torture. The suffering for a penalty that Jesus did not do. This is crazy. Crucified men were not considered human. It was the most inhumane way to, to kill someone. So why in the world would you ask, and if you're a skeptic tonight, you're in the right service. Because why in the world would you ask then, why, why then the world's largest faith, the most distributed literature in human history, the Bible, responsible for one-third of the earth's 7.8 billion people, acknowledge some sort of belief in Jesus and his teachings, 
And we find that it was not launched, this global faith movement was not launched out of a boardroom in the Silicon Valley big tech industry. It wasn't launched out of an Ivy League campus dorm room. It wasn't launched out of the Supreme Court's room, but out of a garden next to Golgotha. It wasn't some polished intellectual elites, superior spiritual experts, but it was uneducated, untrained young men that were eyewitnesses. This global movement, it's what they saw in his crucifixion and his resurrection that sent them to the streets. Christianity wasn't started by the brilliant, it was started by eyewitnesses. How in the world could three billion people acknowledge faith in some regard in Jesus Christ as the Messiah? What a, what a, what a bad way, and I'm telling you, and people for, for, for way longer than we've been alive, have been trying to disprove this one fact, how would it get traction if the resurrection didn't occur? The book of Corinthians and the book of Galatians were written within 20 and 25 years of the resurrection. People were still alive when Paul wrote the letters. I want to think about this for a second. Jesus Christ and him crucified was Paul's, that was his phraseology. He talks so much about Christ crucified, Christ crucified. Think about this, that no mention in the teachings of Paul were the teachings of Jesus. He simply said the cross, the word the cross of Christ conveyed the dunamis of Christ. That the power of Christ's teachings were connected to the way that Jesus died. Powerful that Jesus Christ and him crucified was the content to the most powerful message that flamed around the Gentile world. This is crazy that Christianity is unique. No, it's not. They're all the same. All religions are the same. They all go to the same place. Same, 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 same. Listen to me. It's not. I'll tell you why. Christianity is unique in this, that the world's religions have certain traits in common. But until the gospel came on the scene, that Jesus burst, open the, burst upon the Mediterranean world, no one in history ever conceived worshiping a crucified man. That would be like saying my best friend, yeah, he died on the electric chair. You wouldn't brag about a friend that got a death sentence. There was a shame. Follow me. Early Christian preaching announced upon the stage of history in the person of a Jewish teacher, itinerant teacher, an ex-carpenter who was ingloriously pinned up alongside of two societies, cast offs to die horribly rejected and condemned by the religious and the secular authorities alike, discarded onto the garbage heap of humanity. One scholar says, scornfully forsaken by both elites and common folks, leaving behind the only discredited, demoralized handful of scruffy disciples who had zero status whatsoever in the eyes of anyone. How in the world do you launch a movement of faith out of such origins. The peculiarity of the beginning of Christianity to transform the world with faith is not significantly acknowledged enough. How would we get here today with such a uncanny beginning? At the core of our faith as Jesus followers, we are unlike any other of the 4,500 religions on the world today. Christianity's origins are oddly irreligious at their core. Well, how is that, preacher? Well, I'll explain it to you. It's, it's, it's oddly irreligious because of this one reason. Check this out. Is that religion is a set of beliefs. Say when they beliefs. It's uh, beliefs projected out of humanity's needs. So when people start religions, what they usually do is they cater to the needs, wishes, longings, and fears of human beings. The religious imagination seeks to uplift. But here comes Jesus on the scene, and he seems to start this whole movement not with uplifting people, but out of torture and humiliation. Out of death. Therefore, the crucifixion of Jesus is uh, an unrepeatable event that calls all religions into question. Questions is an, it establishes an altogether new foundation of faith, life, and human future. 
That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Why did he say, I'm not ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ? Because in that world, people would have been ashamed of anyone crucified. Your leader that's going to change the world, he was one of those naked people that got beaten to death. That got a nail, not through his hands, because Romans figured out that if you hammered a nail through someone's hands, they could get out of them. So they started hammering nails because they perfected the art of torture. They, they hammered the nails through the two bones in your wrist. Hammered it through a th- certain spot on your feet. It was so bad that you could actually, you could inhale, but you couldn't exhale unless you pulled yourself up. And the reason why they had to break most prisoners' legs is that you could actually go for hours because what would happen is every time you took a deep breath, you could, you could breathe in. But because the way your torso was stretched out, you had to pull yourself up to breathe out. Right? And as long as your legs weren't broken, you could use your legs to push yourself up. The moment they broke your legs, you'd live for minutes because you'd only do so many pull-ups. And imagine this pain that Jesus experienced, that not only was he pulling himself up and down, but after he got scourged on a wooden splintered beam. They were going to break his legs, but they didn't have to break his legs because he yielded his spirit. Are you with me tonight? I know it's heavy, but I'm I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. Why in the world? Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why would he not be ashamed? Romans, he didn't have to tell the Romans not to be ashamed because they understood the cross. But when he wrote to the Corinthians, he had to explain to them why he was not ashamed. It was the crucifixion as a means of execution that he says that would normally cause shame for anybody that was associated with the victims. Paul says it pleased God through the folly that we preach to save those who believe. He says we preach Christ and Christ crucified. We preach Christ and we preach Christ crucified. You know what the early preachers preached? A crucified Christ. They didn't just preach a resurrected Lord. They preached a crucified Lord. Why would they preach a crucified gospel? The Bible says that to the Jews it was a stumbling block. To the Gentiles it was folly. But he says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the greatest wisdom of men. He says the weakness of God is stronger than anything that man could ever produce. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 1, I believe it's chapter 118, he says that those who are perishing, to the, the message of the cross of Christ is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Your attitude, in other words, modern day, your attitude towards the cross of Jesus determines if you are saved with power or you're a fool. Not my words, his. You got to probably take it up with him. Praise the Lord. I believe many, many, you know, many years ago, I read this powerful story of a, of a brother that believed in Jesus, but he was no theologian or scholar. And he got old and his sister was old and they actually both ended up in a convalescent hospital together. And the sister was an atheist her entire life. And within the last couple days of their life, the sister finally looked over at her brother and said, all right, fine, you've been telling about Jesus my whole life. She said to him, what? Does the death of Jesus on a cross a long time ago have to do with my sins now? It's a fair question. What does the death of Jesus on the cross a long time ago have to do with my sins now? The brother, not some formerly trained theologian, says one of the most brilliant, simplified definitions I've ever heard of the significance of the cross of Christ. He said, um, he sat up in his bed, he says, somehow, he was our representative. Somehow. When Jesus bled on the cross, he represented us. He was our non-elected official. He took our place. He was our, say with me, representative. And I believe that is such a powerful statement to almost just sit in for a second. That the reason why Jesus went to the cross is to represent us. He was our representative. Say with me, what's the big deal? Let me tell you what the deal is. How does this work? Jesus is our representative. What makes Good Friday so good? That was my introduction. 
My wife said we have till 10 o'clock. I want to honor her time. Okay. What makes, what's the big deal? What's, what's so good about Good Friday? I believe if you want to write these down, I'm going to give you five things to chew on. You can use your flashlight if it's dark in your seat. What makes Good Friday so good? I believe if you're taking notes now, I want you to write this down. I believe that on the cross, Jesus is our representative to deal with the area of forgiveness. I don't care how good you are, morally sound you are, how great your parents were, how much money you have, which neighborhood you live in, or what you drive. Everybody has to deal with what we do when we screw up. And I want you to know that if humanity's greatest need was wealth, God would have sent us someone that was really good at economics. And if your greatest need was entertainment, God would have sent someone that was very entertaining. If humanity's greatest need 2,000 years ago was, 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 uh, was, was sports, he would have sent us a great athlete. But because he knew that somewhere in the fabric of humanity, our greatest need was saving, he sends us a savior 2,000 years ago. Here's a saving. Is the Bible says it's very clear that Jesus came. He didn't just die for sin. He died as sin. Powerful concept. Started blowing my mind. I'm reading all these scholars that are super smart. I'm like, I need Tylenol. But here's my takeaway as I studied this week. Is the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 15.3. It says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died for us. But check this out. He died as us. Mel was singing about see him, see him. Sometimes it's hard to have a grateful heart until you envision that you and me are the ones that deserve to hang. You know what's interesting about people that have near-death experiences when they're in their 20s or their 30s? Is they usually live grateful the rest of their life. Entitled people think they get owed every day. People that realize they shouldn't be alive and every breath is alone. You live differently. And I believe many quote-unquote Christians in North America live with very little gratitude because there is a high level of entitlement. I'm not that bad. I want you to know the Bible says you on your, your best day, your righteousness on your best day is like filthy rags. And I won't get into what filthy rags actually were in the ancient world, but they keep a PG. But they weren't good. I'm telling you, the Bible is very clear that one of the things that Jesus came on the cross, the crucifixion, the Bible says this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin become, becomes, what did Jesus become on the cross? Sin itself. That's why the Father couldn't even look at him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father had to turn away because the weight of humanity's sins were sitting on the crucifixion on, in the person of Jesus. And it was such a weighty, dark sin that God had to look away from his own son. I want you to think about this. What's, what's Christianity about? It's, about? it's about basically God treating Jesus the way that we deserve to be treated. So that after Jesus, he could treat us the way that he wanted to treat Jesus. That's a good spot for an amen. Maybe a little hand clap for God. Come on, give God a hand clap. That's what it's about. The deal of the crucifixion is he died to deal with sin. The Bible says in a utopian garden, Adam disobeyed. And in a garden of agony, Jesus fully obeyed the Father. The first Adam was negligent in the garden. And the second Adam was obedient to the point of death. Jesus died on the cross. Are you hearing me? To deal with the area of forgiveness. He was a bridge. He was a bridge. People build bridges. They spend billions of dollars. I've studied bridges in times past, and there's all these fun stats of how much steel and how many bolts and how many screws and how many hours and how many men it took to build this bridge. They invest time, money, energy, and a lot of people, sometimes even lives, because they value getting from one point of land to another point of land and crossing the chasm. I believe that, come on, it took Jesus three nails to cross the chasm between our gap and God's gap. Say with me, forgiveness. This is what the crucifixion is about. It's about, number one, it's about forgiveness. Secondly, come on, you're with me tonight? If you're brand new, someone says, What's, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? It was about, it was about forgiveness of sins. But it was more than that, friends. 
Some churches stopped there. It was beyond forgiveness. It was actually had to deal with not only forgiveness, it had to deal with healing. Going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church for a sec. It's all right, though. I'm telling you that it's, a, it's not just about God forgiving us. It's about God healing us. That Roman scourge that ripped off flesh every time it hit the naked back of Jesus is what Isaiah would prophesy about hundreds of years before the life of Jesus. He would go on to say something along the lines of, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, the chastisement of your peace and my peace was upon. And by his stripes, the verb tense changes here. It says we are. It doesn't say we were. It says we, not were, it says we, read Isaiah 53, 5. We are healed. By his stripes, then we are now healed. Well, I prayed for people that didn't get healed. It doesn't say every person we pray for gets healed. And it doesn't say that every prayer that we lift to God, God answers. In some ways, scholars would argue that if God answered every one of your prayers, you would be sitting in his seat. What makes God who he is is his ability to choose what he wants to honor. Well, I don't like that. I like to be in control. Well, that's the problem with God is you're not. Well, I'm a CEO. It doesn't matter. You're still sitting in the nosebleed seats in God's kingdom. He rules. He reigns. And as the, as the clay, we don't tell the potter, all right, I don't like what you're doing. I wouldn't do it that way. There's a lot of things that we wouldn't do differently. But thank God we're not in charge. Thank God some of you aren't in charge. That was me. Are you with me tonight? I believe that healing is, is what Jesus died on the crucifixion to, to give us. By his stripes we are healed. You, you, I don't ever seen this before, but you know what? You know what trespasses are? Trespasses are external sins. I always say that if you saw a no trespassing sign and you saw the fence and you said, that's for somebody else, and you walked over to it, and you put your leg over the fence, you would be not just thinking about it. You actually put your leg over the fence and crossed it. Say this with me, trespass. Transgressions are outward trespasses, okay? But iniquity is different than transgressions. Transgressions are, are external sins, Iniquities are internal sins. So iniquity is different than going over the fence. Iniquity is thinking about going over it. You know what I'm saying? Iniquity is like when you're like, that guy cuts you off in traffic, and you start, you start just rocking your hand at him, and you get out of your car at the next light, start beating on his window, and you're like, you actually didn't do it, but you were doing it in your head. Who's been there before? Come on. In my head, I was doing it all day long. That's iniquity. Transgression is when you actually get out of your car. Iniquity is when you think about hurting somebody. You know how beautiful the Bible fits together? The Bible says in Isaiah, check this out, 53, we just read it, verse 5. It says that he was wounded, spear pierced Jesus' side. Say it with me, external. He was wounded on the outside for our transgressions. External sin. But he was bruised, which bruising is internal bleeding. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus suffers an external punishment for external sins and internal bleeding for internal sins. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we pray in faith that we would be healed. What's the deal with the crucifixion? It's about God forgiving the world. It's about God paying for healing in the world. How about number three? You still with me tonight? It's about fulfillment. Do you know that this is crazy? Some of you have no idea that the Bible was written. There's, there's a 400-year gap between the last book of the Old Testament and the book of Matthew. I want you to think about it like this because some of you have never wrapped your head around this. There was more than 300 fulfilled prophecies about Jesus before he was ever born. 300 of them were fulfilled 
in the life of Jesus. So like, what does that mean, preacher? It means this. Basically, a substantial biography was written about Jesus 500 years before he was born. Can you imagine that today? I won't get into all the prophecies. I could spend the whole service talking about them. But Isaiah was one of them that we just read. But check this out. Imagine a book you found from 1900, time capsule. You pull it out of the dirt. It's from 1900. And in this book, it, it would forecast, it would forecast a Great Depression, two world wars, an atomic bomb, the assassinations of JFK and MLK. It would forecast uh, airplanes crashing into two towers, a recession, and a global pandemic. What would you think of that book? Well, probably listened a little bit. Might have a little bit of time to read it. 500 years before Jesus, prophet after prophet declared that as a sheep that goes to a shear is silent, he opened not his mouth. Before Pilate, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, I don't deserve to be here. He did then what the prophet said hundreds of years before. And I'm not lying to you tonight. Many of you have no idea that Jesus didn't just come to heal and forgive. He came to fulfill. Matthew says, he says in 517 that I did not come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. I came to satisfy the wrath of the law, of sin, of death, and the power of evil in the world. The Bible says without the law, we don't know what sin is. The Bible says that when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And it says that when death is evident, the power of evil is present. Wish I could remember that for tomorrow. That was a great thought. But on the cross, Jesus deals with evil by dealing with death, sin, and completing the law. Fourth thing, are you still with me? Why, why, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Well, I heard that he had to die on the cross for forgiveness. I heard he died on the cross to give us the ability to pray for miracles, for healings. I heard he died because people said he was going to die 500 years earlier, and he did what they said he would do. But that, he, he goes further than that. Some churches stop there. He went further than those four things. He actually went to the point of number four, of exemplifying how we're supposed to live. Do you know that Jesus didn't just die to fulfill all righteousness? to forgive us of our sins and give us access to power. He died to show us how we're supposed to live. And I might get quiet in here for a second because we've, we've entered into an age of therapeutic materialism that church and Christianity is just a self-absorbed world about me. The Bible we read says that God is good enough to entice you with come and see, but he's worthy enough to say come and die for me. One scholar said that the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to carry your cross to eternity. We don't talk a lot about that today. He is our model. Galatians 2.20, I told you to turn there earlier. You know what it says? For I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says it this way. I have been, what? What are you talking about, Paul? I'm talking about Jesus' crucifixion. As Christians, we're like Paul. We've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. Therefore, the life that we live, we live this life by faith. By what? Not by feelings, not by trends, not by what's popular, tolerated. I don't think I like this. Come on, we live by faith. Even if nobody else is on board, we live by faith. I'm not waiting on the crowd to decide. You know where Pilate made the mistake? The greatest mistake of Pilate's life was when he tried to live to please the crowd. If you live to please the crowd, you will never fully stand for God. I don't care if the crowd is for me, with me, or about me. I'm going to stand for God. Come on, can I get a real hand clap in this place for Jesus? We're standing for God. In California, in a dark environment, we're going to stand for God. I don't care if everybody else is bowing. I don't care if everybody's getting into this woke theology. We're going to stand for God. We're not cutting and pasting the Bible. We're going to stand for God. He is the one that fulfills. And he gives us an example. 
Jesus loved the Father so much that he was willing to deny his own desires. He says, not my will, but what would it look like if Christians today didn't live for their will? Not what I want, God, what you want. We have Christians today that, that believe in the power of saving from the cross, but not being willing to be mature enough to pick up their own. One of my mentors said that the, the message of Christianity is come and see, but then discipleship goes from being a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. Fans want to come and see. Followers want to go and die. Go and die means I'm willing to crucify my anger. I'm going to crucify the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be pure. It's no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. And we got to see Christians today not just want the rewards of heaven, but the responsibilities of earth. Jesus was willing to crucify his flesh. And there's an invitation today to do the same. Grab a seat. Get you out of here. You stand up. I'll keep yelling. He exemplified how we're supposed to live. I have been crucified with Christ. You know what I pray every day? Pastor, what do you pray? I pray this every day. God, I pray today. You know what the devil's good at? The devil's good at telling you who you were. And I'll tell you this right now. Every time he reminds you of your, your dirty past, you remind him of his hot future. Okay? That's what I tell the devil. All right, you're right. Mark Francie was broken. Mark Francie did have some anger issues, some perversion issues. Yeah, Mark grew up in a dark environment with some dark habits. Had an issue with alcohol at one point in my life, partying at one part of my life. And when the devil reminds me of who I was, I'll agree with him. I was like that. But here's the deal, Satan. Every day I wake up, I die. I give Mark Francie a burial every morning. I say that today I've been crucified with Christ. I'm not living for Mark Francie's desires today. Mark Francie's fleshly, carnal appetites today. I'm living for the appetites of heaven. God, not my will. Come on, your will be done. This is picking up our cross. And when you live and you follow the example of Jesus, he'll give you a mission. His mission sounded something like Matthew 28, 19. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He said crazy things that I believe are getting closer to happening. In Matthew, what does it say? In even Matthew chapter 24, he talks about the good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, and then the end will come. You know when God returns is that when we reach the ends of the earth with our mission. Tell the world. What are we telling them? That he came off the cross? He went into the tomb, but he came out of the grave. Sent his spirit when he came out of the grave to fill the earth. And he gave us a mission. If I'm a CEO, I'm a CEO to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I might not preach it behind a podium. Maybe you preach the gospel by just loving the kids that are in your kindergarten class. Maybe you preach the gospel by inviting your neighbors that, that maybe have the music up too loud on Saturday nights to church on Sunday mornings. Maybe you say go into all the world and make disciples of all nations by raising kids that love Jesus. But here's my conviction that all of us are called. We're all of us are on mission to make disciples of this world. And the sixth thing I know why Jesus went to the cross isn't just to give us a mission. He went to the cross to, to reassure us that heaven is for real. You know why Peter wasn't scared to be crucified? Peter was. I want you to know, Jesus was the first person that we remember being crucified, but he wasn't the last. Several of his followers were crucified. Peter was crucified. And uh, Josephus and early historians tell us that he was not willing to be crucified like Jesus. Instead, he demanded that they hang him upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to, be, to die the same way that Jesus was. So turn my cross upside down. So Peter was crucified upside down. You know what's crazy is, they threw John in boiling oil. He wouldn't deny Jesus. They crucified Peter upside down. He wouldn't deny Jesus. They torture others, Andrew and some of the others. They were tortured. They were thrown to lions. They were thrown to beasts and animals. And they said, deny Jesus or we're going to kill you. And none of them were scared. 
None of them recanted their faith. And my only conclusion of this is maybe some of the greatest documented forensic evidence we have of Christianity's tangible reality. That if his early followers were following someone that was lying, there's no way that people die for lies. I would have been on the bandwagon come on for a liar as long as the crowds were there. But when the spears and lions and the boiling oil came out, I'm gone. I'm unfollowing. I'm unfriending. But what we find is, is that in the darkest, scariest moments of the early apostles' lives, they didn't go reverse. They accelerated into it. And the only reason I, I'm telling you, the only reason we know that they're, they're not scared of death is they saw Jesus rise. They knew that if he could go on the cross on Friday night and be walking on the streets, floating through our walls on Sunday, and if he hangs out with us for 40 days and shows himself to more than 500 people, and people documented rocks breaking in half and veils being ripped from the top to the bottom, and people that were in graves came back to life. They were convinced that even if you kill me, I'll rise like heroes. And when you know that God came out of the cross, came off the cross, out of the grave, out of the tomb, it gives you this lack of fear when it comes to dying. Many people are scared of death because they don't know the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to know that God in John 14 21 says I go to prepare a place for you he embraced the cross he took captivity captive the Bible says he went down into hell he gave the devil a black eye and kicked him in the teeth grabbed the keys and ascended on high it says this he led captivity captive I'm almost finished but he he shows us Colossians 1 18 says it this way, that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. You know what that means? Is that he was the first to rise, but not the last. He was the first to come out of the grave, but not the last. My grandma used to always pray, I pray the upper taker comes before the undertaker. She was hastening the day of the Lord. But she used to say that all the time. She goes, Mark, he's going to come one day. She used to always smile on her little rocking chair watching TVN. Come on, somebody. She'd rock her little chair and she'd go, Jesus, come back any day, Mark. She said, I heard a preacher one time say, by the end of this service, he could return. I can feel the glory. I don't know when he's coming. Some of you asked, do you think we're in the end days? I think we're, I think today is a day closer than yesterday. I go on the record to say that. I think people that project exact dates are idiots because the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. But he is coming back. And if it's either the upper taker or the un, I don't know. But if I do die before his return, I will come out of the grave and I will meet him in the sky. Heaven is real. Jesus embraced torture so that we could embrace love and connectivity with his presence and with the spirit as we wrap this up tonight some of you think well I gotta I gotta be better Mark I gotta be a good person to come to God no you don't you just have to do two things you have to be empty and you have to be willing to be cleaned I was thinking about pizza boxes anybody seen a pizza box forgive me I'm a simple man I was thinking pizza boxes are like eight cents, but they are so necessary. I thought, what would it look like if the delivery guy didn't have a pizza box? What if you ordered a pizza and he showed up to your house, he's got dough on his hand, cheese oozing down his forearm, and he says, here's your pizza. Come on, I'm not eating that thing. There's something about a simple eight cents box that has a lot of significance. What I've learned is, is the box isn't expensive. It's what's in the box that counts. And I've learned that pizza doesn't need you to be significant. It needs you to be empty. And it needs you to be clean. And I believe that God would come tonight for anyone that would be willing to be empty. Anyone that would be willing to be cleaned. 
God would fill you with content and substance. Some of you are talking yourself out of God's resurrection love. And I would tell you tonight that, look, God likes liars because he liked Abraham. God liked deceivers because he liked Jacob. God liked murderers and excuse makers like Moses. God had no problem with cheaters and murderers like David. God actually didn't have an issue with morally bankrupt people like Solomon. He had no issue with powders like Elijah, prostitutes like Gomer and Rahab, and IRS employees like Matthew. Even deniers like Peter had a seat at God's table. All they had to be willing to do is, God, would you empty me and would you clean me? God will fill any life that's willing to be filled. Would you stand your feet tonight? The message of Barabbas, you know what it is? It was he was the first recipient, the first recipient of the crucifixion's gift. You know what Barabbas' gift was? Notorious murderer. You know what his, his punishment was? Do you know that Jesus died on the cross that wasn't built for him? So much I could preach four other messages out of this. But do you know that he died on a cross that was not built for him? It was built for Barabbas. Now I want you to know this, that what happened to Barabbas happens to anyone that calls on his name. Listen to me. Barabbas is on death row, cell block six, and he's in his cell, and he is moments away. Come on, he just ordered his tombstone pizza. Who remembers that commercial? What do you want on your tombstone? Pepperoni. It's an old commercial. He's in his cell. Listen to me. He's in his cell, and his cell opens up. Guards there. Barabbas, get up. He's shocked. Is it already time, he thinks? It's already time. He's, I'm sure immediately he's probably tearing up. Oh, my gosh, it's the end. Get up. So he sits up, shocked, surprised, scared, out of his mind, like all of us would be. This is it. And he hears something so good that it's almost doesn't sound real. You ready for it? You're free to go. Excuse me? Barabbas, get up. You're free to go. What? I said you're free to go. Jesus is taking your place. Get up. Get out of your cell. You're free to go. Jesus is taking your place. That cross that was built for you will be the one that hosts him. And I want you to know that he was the first to experience the power of God's crucifixion. The love that would send him to a cross for someone else's sins. But Barabbas wasn't the last. And I tell anyone that's listening online or in these tents tonight, that if you'll let Jesus open up the cell of your heart, He'll let you come out of your pain, your brokenness, your humiliation, your dark habits. He'll actually give you a freedom to get out of that place. And he'll give you the power to come out of the grave like he came out of the grave. Because he was crucified and he rose, he was the first benefactor of the cross of Jesus, but he was not the last. Cell block opened up. Barabbas, you're free to go. Jesus has taken your place. I don't care who you are and how you were raised. I'm telling you that if you'll invite him into your cell, he'll come. Some of you feel like you're incarcerated to depression, drugs, darkness, doubt. Some of you are just so full of doubt. You're like, I want to believe, preacher, but I just don't. I dare you to invite him tonight into your cell of doubt. He fills any cell that invites him. Would you close your eyes tonight? I feel his presence. What's the big deal about the crucifixion? Well, Jesus died for me, as me, to invite me into a life that he lived. It's about forgiveness. Come on, it's about, it's about, it's about forgiveness. It's about um, a couple other things. Healing. <laughs> the best preachers forget what they're saying. It's in my notes, man. I gotta look sometimes. It's about fulfillment. Like, dude, if you can't remember this, I'm screwed. <laughs> I'll look at my notes again. It's about forgiveness. It's about healing. It's about fulfillment. It's about God giving us an example. It's about mission. And how I'll remember this. It's about heaven. Because he lives, we live. I'm going to do a whole message on that on Sunday. I promise.
promise you, Sunday, man, God's going to do something just wild. But I feel His presence here tonight. Why such a brutal death? Because He had to take on the weight of sin. Close your eyes. He's here. I pray by your stripes, those lashes that ripped off flesh and exposed your spine and your ribs, I ask you that by those stripes tonight, we remember that you paid for in full. I ask you that by those stripes, you would heal cancer in this place. I ask you that you would heal, God, even, Lord, someone that has scoliosis. I ask you that, Lord, those stripes tonight would heal, Lord, foot fungus, God, bone issues. Uh, even someone that has sensitivity with fingers and fingernails or someone has issues with your fingernails that God's healing tonight. Even someone that has like weird cartilage buildup in different parts of your body and doctors don't know what to do with it. God's healing it tonight. Calcium buildups. God's, God's dissolving calcium buildups all over your body. By your stripes. If you need healing tonight, come on, I want you to visualize your Savior on the cross. I want you to lift your hands. Come on, let's declare together that by his stripes need emotional healing, you got brain trauma, you got maybe a chemical imbalancement in your brain. I believe in a God that not only heals bodies, broken hearts, and cancer, but he can even heal a broken mind. It's been suicide. I don't care what you're dealing with tonight. Darkness, I want you to lift your hands tonight. By your stripes, I welcome the power that got you out of the grave. Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, by your stripes, would you heal people all over these tents and all over online. Lord, we lift up, Lord, the bread tonight that represents your body that was broken on the cross. We thank you that on Good Friday, you were willing to, Lord, surrender your life so that we could live. Tonight, Lord, as we, as we take this bread in our mouth, I thank you that we remember the body that was broken for us, that by your stripes, we are healed. So I pray tonight there be healings all over the tent, all over online. Heal what could not be healed without you. Do what doctors say could not be done. Do the impossible as we remember your body being broken. Let's eat together. Second layer, peel it open tonight. You raise the glass and you said this is the blood. This wine represents the blood of the new covenant. This cup isn't wine, it's grapefruit juice. But I thank you that Lord, this represents the blood of the new covenant. I thank you that it's for the remission of sins. Scholars call it the substitutionary atonement, or they call it a vicarious atonement. I thank you that you didn't just die for us, you died as us. And I thank you that it's by your stripes and by your blood that we are healed. And even as they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost during the Passover, we put the blood of the lamb over our marriages, over our minds, over our children. I thank you that, Lord, no spirit of death or darkness would have entryway into our lives. We, let, we raise the cup tonight. And we thank you for the blood of a new covenant, a better covenant. I thank you that we drink tonight. We remember, Lord, your sacrifice on the cross. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here tonight and you've never, maybe you just got healed, but you've never given God your full heart or you walked away from God, and tonight as we close, this last thing we do is we say, God, would you forgive me for my iniquities? And would you forgive me for my trespasses? And would you move into my heart? Would you fill me with your spirit? And would you guide my life this, this Good Friday from this day forward? If you need to rededicate your life or for the first time put your faith in Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. Eyes closed, heads bowed, holy moment. We'll be out of these tents in three minutes. I pray in Jesus' name, everyone that's supposed to respond, that they would lift their hands on the count of three. One, I pray that, Lord, you would knock on their hearts, that they would open up their lives to you. Two, I pray they would not miss this moment tonight. Let them respond in faith. We invite you in. Come on, if you want Jesus in your life tonight, put your hands up real high. Three, three, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Yeah, yeah, there you are, there you are. Six, seven, keep it up. Eight, nine, 10, 11, keep it up. 12, 13, 14, 15, keep it up. 16, 17, 18, see in the back. 18 hands, 18 hands, anybody else? So good. 19 hands. Awesome. You're online right now. I would love it if you would just write H-E-A-R-T, heart. If you want to give God your heart. Don't be shy. Don't be scared. You know what Jesus said? If you're scared and embarrassed of me in front of humans, he's like, I'll do the same thing in front of God the Father. He said, but if you're proud to be called my son, 
He said, I'll be proud to be called your father. And tonight, you need to make a, a public stand. I want you to write heart. If you're watching this live stream right now, actually, there's six people in the tent that you didn't raise your hand. And I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity right now. God will brag about you in eternity if you're willing to brag about him on earth. There was 18, six more people. I want you to close your eyes. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I never do this to shame anybody. I do this to create an on-ramp where God can enter your life. This is an on-ramp moment. Well, he's talking to some, I'm talking to you tonight. If you're not right with Jesus and you want to get right with him, invite him in. I don't care if your wife loves Jesus, your grandma's a Christian. I'm talking about you tonight. You want to know God for yourself. Rededicate your life or for the first time. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. There's already a couple hands going up. I love it. Come on, there's six more at least. I want you to raise your hands. One, that's me. No one's looking. Two, thank you. There's more. Yep. Right now, that's you. That's me. Three. There's six hands going up. Come on, right now. I see two. Keep it up. Three, four. Keep it up. Five. Five. Keep it up. Five. Five. There's one more. I know it. One more. I know it. Got to be here. It's hard to see everybody. Tim's kind of dark. There's at least five. I'm going to believe there's six, though. Would you pray this prayer, Oceans Church, with those 24 people tonight? just make an invitation the on-ramp all over these tents say Jesus I thank you that you love me enough to experience the excruciating pain of the crucifixion thank you for not taking a shortcut you took the long way so I could take the short way Lord I love you I invite you heal me forgive me and lead me from this night forward in Jesus name I pray pray that prayer I'd, I'd encourage you to say amen if you don't have a Bible we have a Bible we'd love to give you you can download on your phone if you don't have a church this is a great church to go to and if you want to make this church your home click on our growth tracks on our website jump into one of our small groups come on I'm telling you that God's doing something special in California Sunday listen Sunday is going to be unbelievable and I'm asking you if you're an Oceans Church diehard to come either to 9 or to 1 because 11 o'clock is when all the new people usually show up. And I'd love you to serve maybe at 11 o'clock and help out uh, and come to 9 or 1. Can we all invite somebody to? Is that all right to ask? Can we invite some. How many had a friend that should have been here tonight? Get a friend? Bring them Sunday. I love you so much. Give God one more big hand clap. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.